Welcome to the Free Music Ed Podcast. My name's Stephen. My name is Gannon. And you are listening to part two of our Majoring in Music little series that we're doing. Uh, yeah, this is all about majoring in music. And so today we're going to be talking to you about degree plans, you know, kind of what they mean, where you can find them. Uh, what does all these hours thing mean? What's a three-hour course? What's a five-hour course? What's a part-time student, a full-time student? What are major and minors? And what are all these other weird requirements that you have to do other than just going to classes? I thought all you had to do was go to class. Well, you know, it's a good start. <laughs> uh, I find that the people that graduated from college, almost all of them went to classes. Almost all of them. I was I was one of those actually. I went to most of my classes except my freshman year. I I failed out of a class my freshman year just because I didn't go to it. That was kind of stupid. Oh yeah, that's a terrible reason to fail a course. I was thinking there probably are some courses in some schools that maybe you can just turn in all the work and not go to class. But most colleges have attendance requirement where you have to physically be in the classroom and check in a certain number of times. Or do you, they just automatically flunk you or drop you out? Especially in speech. Mm-hmm. They, they seem to think those classes and what you're doing in them are important. So, yes, go to classes is a big part of it. Uh, one of the things that I have in this podcast that we're going to be referring to a lot is I've pulled up a degree plan from Texas State University in San Marcos, Texas. And I, I just was looking at it as kind of a reference point. Uh, we've included a link if you want to go and look at that yourself, you don't have to to understand what we're talking about, but you're certainly welcome to. Here's the first thing, is that you are going to want a degree. That's why you're going to college. And all these degrees have plans, which are basically a list of all the courses you have to take for the university to say, okay, here's that degree. How many hours did you have when you graduated from college? Oh, man. Um, I don't know the exact number, but it was somewhere between 160 and 180, I believe. Uh, music majors tend to have a lot more hours uh, than other majors do. I think the the requirement is typically 120 for a degree. Yeah, I'm looking at this particular degree plan that I was going to be referring to later, and it is 132 to 134 hours for a bachelor's in music with all-level teacher certification. it's a lot of hours. Yeah. Well, that's also almost a double degree, really. It's like, it's like one and a half degrees. That's certainly the way that it seems to feel, especially with some of the other things you have to do, which we'll talk about later. Um, mm-hmm. But I just said 132 or 134 hours. If you're listening to this and you haven't gone to college before, that doesn't mean anything to you. You want to tell them a little bit about hours, Gannon? Hours are what we use to determine how much a class is worth in your degree plan, if that makes sense. So basically what it's saying is how many hours you in a week you're in that class generally. So like a three-hour course uh, tends to meet on Monday, Wednesday, Fridays, one hour a day. So that's three hours a week. Or they'll meet on Tuesday, Thursday for an hour and a half. Uh, some courses, especially like science labs, will be four or five-hour courses, and you'll meet every day of the week for a certain amount of time. 
some are shorter, uh, maybe one-hour courses that only meet once a week or two-hour courses that meet twice a week or something like that. Right, and it's really any way that you want to mix that up. I've taken three- to five-hour courses that all meet on one day so that you go to that course at 5 o'clock and you stay there until 8 or 9 o'clock every day and you meet just once a week. And to tell you the truth, those are hard to get through because you're covering several days of material all in one setting and it's really hard to stay awake. Yeah, I actually did a pretty good job of avoiding that kind of thing. The kind that I didn't spend much time avoiding, uh, this is part of being a music major, is the opposite of that, where you're taking a one-hour course that meets five hours a week. Uh, Major ensembles tend to be this way. Band, choir, stuff like that. You'll meet five to six hours a week, but you only get one hour credit for it in your degree plan. And the the credits kind of determine like your your level uh like freshman sophomore junior freshman tends to be 0 to 30 hours sophomore 30 to 60 junior 60 to 90 a senior is 90 to 120 and then over 120 you're just old right you, we call them super seniors super seniors yeah like you know me who go there for 5 or 6 years and get lots and lots and lots of hours built up because you spend so much time in so many different uh, ensembles that you kind of don't really get through your degree very quickly. That can happen. But hey, it was worth it. I had I had a great time and got a lot of good experiences out of it. But I digress. All I have to say is that it's it's not set in stone that if it's a one-hour course, you will spend one hour a week in that course. It's It's generally true. I would say like 80 to 90% of the time it's true. But there there are some courses that kind of fudge that rule a little bit. It would be ridiculous if they gave you five-hour credit for band every semester because then you would graduate with, you know, four or 500 hours by the end of your degree. Right. And all of these different courses, the hour kind of tells you how much you're going to be in class for most of them. But they don't tell you how long you're going to have on homework. So there may be classes that are three or four hours that you can complete during the time you're taking the course. There'll be courses that are two hours that give you 10 hours of homework. It really depends on the professor and the course. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one for a music major is private lessons. Private lessons, is it? Well, it, it depends on what your major is. If you're an education major, I think it's a two-hour credit. And if you're a performance major, it's a three-hour credit, or maybe it's three and four hours. I don't remember. Well, and it doesn't even matter because it varies from college to college exactly how much they're going to expect. But you'll be taking a certain number of private lessons. A lot of places, you know, maybe it's a one-hour credit, but you only meet for 30 minutes a week with your private lesson instructor, but you're practicing three hours a day. So you, you take and you have this one-hour course that is actually taking you 16 hours of time a week. Or more. Right. Uh, you know, some people don't spend a lot of time until right before their juries, and then it takes up 24 hours a day for two weeks. Let's talk about this for a minute. So there's those different types of hours. Uh, here's kind of how degree plans are generally laid out. Uh, with almost every one of the courses you're going to take, uh, any type of degree plan, they'll usually have a basic education. This is math and science and English and a lot of people now are completing this while they're in high school and going ahead and getting those college credits. I know that I had 30 hours of credit by exam when I started college. That means when I got to college, I didn't have to take any math, any science, 
and any English or literature the whole time I was in college because I took care of it all in high school. And that saved me money. And I already counted as a, a sophomore my second year. And so that was uh, beneficial to me for a number of different reasons. Yeah, so and, study up for those SATs and ACTs because those scores will get you out of a lot of classes if you do well. That's true. ACT and SAT scores can actually get you out of some of those courses, uh, especially the, like the very first math courses and things like that. Uh, and again, those are courses you're going to have to pay for when you get to college. So if you can get rid of them and save yourself time and money, then you're just starting off better. Maybe you can get out of there on time or early. You'll have that general education thing. Then you'll also have a musical core. A musical core of requirements would be like your basic music theory and basic music history and the things that kind of are in common with all of the different majors in music. So the one I'm looking at right now, you have to uh, you have to have some recital credit. That's attending recitals and concerts, which we'll talk about later. Uh, an introduction to music technology, uh, sight singing, ear training, and music theory. Music literature, history and analysis, and fundamentals of conducting. And that's pretty much the same for all of your music degrees. Another type of requirement you might have is performance requirements. So performance requirements would be like taking your private lessons, uh, which usually revolve some type of performance in school recitals. You'd also have usually in almost every college you'll have a major ensemble and a secondary ensemble. So you'll have to be in the band and then maybe the jazz band or a chamber ensemble of some type. So you'll usually be taking at least two ensembles. If you go to a small school, you may take eight ensembles in a semester. Who knows? So you'll have some ensemble things that you have to do. Yeah, my my sophomore year, I was in 11. In 11 on your sophomore year. I, I had some where I calculated it, and I would be in uh, both the band and the jazz band and... Another performing ensemble our school had, and a saxophone quartet, and a woodwind quintet. And because I went to a small college, I had an opportunity to participate in all of those. So that's kind of cool. Uh, one of the other things that you're going to have to do in that same rank is a senior recital. Pretty much every major has a senior recital you have to do where you are performing a concert, where you are the main attraction. And it's usually 30 minutes or an hour, depending on your major and your school. Yeah, and if you're a performance major, typically you also have to put on a junior recital as well. Okay, then usually you're choosing some type of emphasis beyond those things. So uh, if you're doing music education, which is going to kind of be the focus of this discussion just because that applies to the most number of people, you're going to be choosing either an instrumental emphasis or a choral emphasis. And then different things depending on that. So if you're doing instrumental emphasis, you're going to be taking classes about specific techniques, percussion techniques and woodwind techniques and string techniques. You'll also do things like arranging techniques for school ensembles, uh, current trends in music, and all sorts of different things like that. And it'll be focused into those type of areas. If you did choral, then it would mostly be things like choral conducting and uh, performance ensemble techniques, world music uh, diction, diction for singing. You're not going to do that if you're doing instrumental focus. So uh, those type of things will happen too. Yeah, and if you're uh, doing piano, you, you just practice 14 hours a day. Uh, if you're doing a music ed degree, you still have to choose an emphasis. 
well, at yeah, most places. But, yeah. But if it's piano, you're still going to practice for 14 hours a day. And you wouldn't be choosing the same type of emphasis if you were doing a performance degree where you would not be taking a lot of these courses. They'd be more focused on your particular instrument. So you'd be studying like if you were a clarinet major, you'd be studying clarinet literature and clarinet history and more things like that and less of the woodwind and percussion techniques that you'd be doing as an education major. Yeah, and they probably push for you to do more performances too. And more private lessons and more ensembles. Right. Okay, so if you do education, though, in addition to all of those things that we already talked about, you also usually have to take between 15 and 20 hours of education courses. Things like classroom management, uh, you have to do instructional technologies for secondary teachers, uh, different things like that. And the worst class in the entire world, which is teaching, reading, and content area. That's the one I was thinking of. Oh, don't you hate that one? Do you remember, what was that course like for you? I have a funny story about that course. That course at our university was taught by our dean of school of music's mother. The dean of the school of music and I always got along real great. Actually, he was one of our interviews, Dr. Robert Tucker. His mom taught the course. I don't know if she still does or not. And, you know, the the course was a waste of time for me, and I hated it because it was absolutely not applicable at all because... Teaching reading the content area means teaching reading through your uh, particular subject. Like if you're a math teacher, how do you teach reading through math? Yet the idea being that students that do badly on math tests a lot of times can't understand the word problems because they don't read well enough. And so how do you teach them how to read in addition to teaching them the math inside of your class? Exactly. Well, I... I totally had the opportunity to fail myself out of that course, and luckily uh, Mrs. Tucker was benevolent enough to go ahead and give me a second chance. We we had a big project in that class that you took all semester to get put together, and you put this big presentation in front of the class, and it was a Tuesday-Thursday class, so it met for an hour and 20 minutes. And uh, the day that I was to give my presentation my alarm clock was an hour off and I showed up to class an hour late. <laughs> so I showed up basically at the end of class and she was kind of mad about that because I missed my big presentation day and that grade was, you know, 70% of your class grade or something. It was crazy. And she said, you know, I should fill you out of this class right now. And I'm like, yes, I know. She goes, but I, uh, I'll give you a second chance. I said, thank you. That doesn't always happen though, kids. Right. that You got lucky. There's a lot of places where that might not have flown. Uh, so it was good. Yeah, that that's one of those courses. There's a lot of the education courses that if you're planning on being a band or a choir or orchestra director at a school, you're sitting in the class and they're talking about classroom management. And you're like, well, the things you're saying might work really well for a class that you're doing a lot of writing assignments and you're all sitting down at desk. But what do you do when you've got 60 kids and they all have noisemakers? You know, how, it, and it's a different thing. But I, I found that really a lot of the strategies that we discussed in those classes were applicable, even though if I had to think a little more about the application. So there's still good information there. There's good information there. You just have to take it with a grain of salt. There, there's a lot of theoretical stuff going on in those classes that isn't real-world applicable. 
But then there is a lot of stuff that is real world applicable and you kind of have to pick and choose or through experience figure out what does and doesn't work. Right. Very, very true. And that that goes for taking the test to get your education certificate. Uh, that test is all theory. Um, you really can't think real world at all about answering the questions on that test. You have to think about how the writers of the test want you to answer the question. It's pretty annoying. On the bright side, the thing that seems to be the most useful for most people that pursue music education is that you do wind up taking, and at the very end of your stuff, you spend an entire semester student teaching. And so it's basically an internship where you go to a school and you work under a teacher, and you do that for free for a semester. In fact, you don't do it for free. You pay people for that opportunity. Mm -hmm. And uh, depending on where you go, you may or may not have any... Uh, say and exactly where your location is and who you wind up working with but if you get under a good teacher man that six months or so or really four months is going to be one of the most important things that you could possibly be doing it's huge i know i know mine was substantial yeah i would say if if you're going to be a music teacher that student teaching time is the most important part of your degree because there's there's just a lot of things that you can't learn in the classroom about. Well, uh, there's things that you can't learn in the college classroom about how to function in as a teacher in a classroom. Right, yeah. Say. That was very poorly constructed. But Ooh, Let me try, let me try. Okay, go for it. There's only so much you can learn in a classroom about being in front of a classroom. There you go. That's good. And And something that Dr. Tucker goes by that I think is a really good idea is that if you came from a smaller school, try to student teach in a bigger school and vice versa. If you come from a bigger school, try and student teach in a smaller school because especially as music educators, the environments are totally different, totally different in the way that you would function and the way that you would run everything is between four, like in Texas, between four, a five, a, and 1A, 2A, 3A, they're just, they're they're totally different worlds. That was mine. I went to a 2A school, and then I student taught in a 4A school, and it was a very different experience. And man, someday it'll be good podcast material to sit down and talk about the difference between teaching music in a very small school and teaching music in a very big school, because I've had some diverse experiences in that, and there are some huge differences. But uh, we're just saying that if you get a chance to check out both sides, that's a good way whenever you uh, whenever you student teach, if you can try to get an experience different than the one that you grew up in. Here's a couple of other things that you're going to want to consider a bit. Uh, so those those are all the main requirements and the different pieces of the degrees. Usually there's some other requirements that you may or may not know about. We already talked about practicing, which you're going to have to do a whole lot of. Uh, another thing that's going to be important is that there are going to be fees associated with a lot of these things that will be worked out through your financial department. But, you know, sometimes there's lab fees, instrument rental fees. They stack up. There's a, at least a few hundred dollars in fees. Sometimes you pay additional fees for your private lesson instruction. So you've got all of those different things to kind of consider and just be aware of. And this is just part of college. And when you work on your financial aid, they'll be telling you about all these things as you sign up for the classes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you get a big detailed list of all the money you owe. 
Mm-hmm. Right? They they want to make sure you pay that. The other thing, this this degree plan that I'm looking at right now, again, this one is from Texas State in San Marcos, Texas. They did a really great job of laying out exactly which courses you should take each semester in order to graduate on time. And as I look at it right now, a full-time student is any student that's taking at least 12 hours. That's usually what the standard is. Yeah, that's pretty normal. And that's really a lot of work. Uh, if you want to do your courses really well, that's that's a lot of work to do it when you're in college. This one, in order to graduate on time, you have to take between 18 and 20 hours every semester. Yep, which most music majors do. I know I was in that boat yes. almost all the time. Well, this is with no extra things. This is getting in all of the stuff that you have to get into major, and that's with an entire semester of student teaching as well. Is that a four-year plan to get through a music degree? It is a four-year plan, and they've got every semester you're taking 19 to 20 hours. I bet there's only two ensembles per semester, too, isn't there? I'm sure there is. I haven't I haven't looked at it in detail. Yeah. these. Well, see, Stephen and I went to a much smaller uh, university. I think, well, we had less than 2,000 people on campus. Yes. So... You know, they, they need who they can get, and especially the better players uh, tend to be put into lots and lots of ensembles, and then I was in vocal ensembles too. And you you can get spread real thin doing a lot of those ensembles, but you get a lot of playing experience that way, and it's kind of hard to, well, you, you can't replace it. The, the playing experience is fantastic, and if you want to be any sort of professional player, you can do as much playing as you can in college because you're around professional people who want to do the same thing that you do and when you get out in the real world, you don't always run into that. It's really, really great experience to be in those ensembles, even though they may kind of lengthen your run a little bit. That's I agree. Uh, and that's one of the differences between going to a great big university and going to a smaller university. There's some other differences, too. There's really some benefits either way so uh, and some disadvantages either way. One of the benefits that Gannon just talked about was being able to participate in a lot of ensembles, whereas in a larger school, you might be a little more limited, or the ensembles you're playing in may not be the premier ensembles. Maybe you're not in the top group uh, at uh, one of the large schools. You're in the second or third group, and it's a little less prestigious. But here's a couple of others that are a pretty big deal. One, whenever you go to a smaller school, it's probably going to be more personal in in all truthfulness. Now, I'm not saying that big schools aren't personal at all because there's plenty of big schools that go out of the way to be available to their students and be as personal as possible. But when you're in a music program where there's 40 music majors, that's one type of experience. When you're in a program where there's 1,000 or 400 or just 150 music majors, you're looking at a completely different atmosphere. But the advantage to having that many music majors around is that you get um, a lot more competition. And there's there's typically just a generalized higher standard of performance and practice in general. Because there's so many more people, there's so much more competition, and so it's um, that much harder to rise to the top so then people work harder. And there are better players. Um, now, not to say there's some great players that come out of small schools, but there, there's a more, it's more consistent in bigger schools to have a constant high uh, level of achievement among your top players all the time. 
Well, and one of the reasons is that the bigger the school is, the more selective they tend to be about their students. So a, a big program isn't afraid to kick kids out of the top and middle ensembles or remove them from the school. They're not hinging on that enrollment just in order to have a program. The smaller the program, the more important every single student is for just maintaining a program. So the bar tends to be a little lower at smaller schools. Again, not universally, but as a general rule, that would be the case. Yeah, and it's really just out of necessity, like you said. Uh, And again, it depends on the school, because there are some small programs that have uh, amazing uh, groups of students, and there's some big programs that probably aren't as good as they should be. Uh, Here's another thought you might want to consider, and that is quality of instruction. This is a pretty big deal. Uh, I I went to Howard Payne University, and the professor that was my primary instructor on my main instruments, clarinet and saxophone, is a phenomenal instructor. I don't think I could have found a better musician anywhere. Now, I can't say that about every single one of my courses. I did have courses where I thought this course is not as valuable as I'd like it to be. Yeah, yeah. But I th- I think you get a little bit of that everywhere. You know, you'll have some professors that are more effective than others. Um, but then, like me, the the like my my private lesson teacher, with without saying it the wrong way, um, my private lesson teacher was kind of there just because they needed somebody to fill that spot, and he did a good job teaching a lot of a lot of the students. But there are a couple of us that were just kind of above what he could do, and it was okay. You know, we had a good relationship and stuff, but. I was left out there to learn things kind of on my own, do a lot of uh, self-exploration, a lot of internet research, a lot of uh, plugging in with people in the area, uh, plugging in with musicians around Texas and kind of figuring things out that way. And my my teacher and I still had a great relationship and did a lot of good things, but um, because of that, I was kind of in a different position than you were and it was just kind of what it was you know we were at the same school but I kind of had to take a whole different approach to it because I didn't have just you know a world-class professor teaching our studio and so that's what you've got to figure out whenever you're picking out your university it's going to be really important that you do your best to meet the faculty find out who are the teachers that if you go there you'll be studying with these are the kind of things you can find out when you visit the university, when you go to do a scholarship audition, and just get an idea. Try to talk to other students if you can. And for almost any university, you can go online and find reviews from students. And, I mean, there's going to be students that hate anything, no matter where they are. But you can kind of start to get an idea of what's the particular vibe in this department or this different school. And that's probably more important than anything. Like, big school and small school are not definitive. There are exceptions all over the place within those schools even. So just do some research and you'll you'll come out pretty good on that. Yeah, the, these are pretty broad sweeping generalizations that we're throwing out there and they probably these all don't apply to any one school. You know what I mean? Like every single one of these stereotypes is you're not going to find a school that fits all of this. Exactly. Um Every school has its ups and downs, its advantages and disadvantages, like Stephen's saying. I'm starting to repeat what he's saying, but just get out there, do research, kind of talk to the students and figure out what you need to do. I thought a good way to close this out 
being two people that successfully survived undergraduate degrees in, in music, what are some advice that you can think of that maybe maybe would help people be more successful? I'd really like everyone who listens to this podcast to earn a degree just by listening to the whole podcast. But since I can't do that, how can we help them get through college? <laughs> well, first of all, remember why you're there. You're at college to earn a degree. You're at college to better yourself, to learn things, to begin a career, to do all that stuff. And you're going to go to school with a lot of people who don't have that front of mind. And they're going to be there for social reasons. Or they're going to be there... Um, chasing girls or chasing boys or just looking to get married or just looking to party all the time or just they, they're just kind of doing it because they told they were told to do it and they're kind of lazy and so they don't ever do anything and you're going to be around a whole bunch of different type of people but you got to realize why you're there and how much money you're spending on it i know at howard Payne every time that i skipped a class it worked out to be like 25 or 30 dollars and nowadays it's probably a lot more than that it was probably closer to 50 per class so you're spending a lot of money, so use your time wisely. Practice. Do your homework. Uh, college is easy if you do those things. If you do your homework and practice, anybody can survive and make it through, honestly. The the people who fail out are just the people that don't do the work. It's not that the work is hard. It's not that you have to be really smart. Uh, it's, it's, it's just a matter of doing it. I have never met a person of average intelligence or greater who went to all of their classes, did all the work, and practiced, and wasn't real successful. And that's kind of like life, right? You, you, you get organized, you take care of all your business, you do everything that you're supposed to, to the best that you can, and you're usually successful. That's the way it works. Really is. Yep, that's kind of learning how to life. Uh, one of the things that I would recommend is that every time you do everything, you start thinking, what can I do now to make myself really useful to the world? Because that's what you're doing. Actually, the degree means less than this. I, the, the degree is a piece of paper, but what it's supposed to represent is that you're useful. And really, all that the world cares about is what you can give it. And that's the only way that you make any money, that's the only way that you have a job, is if you can provide some type of service. And that's what you're there for. If you get this piece of paper and you're not very good, then you're not going to have a very successful career. You need to be able to provide something to the world. So every minute that you're in that class, you should be asking yourself, how can this make me a better, more useful person? Yeah, yeah. And you have to be thinking about your final goal. It's like, what what is this headed towards? You know, what am I wanting to do with this? What am I aiming for? Uh, I might have mentioned this in the last part one. But there's a lot of us that get into college because we're told to go to college and we run in head first and start doing our degree and stuff and all of a sudden realize, wait a minute, I don't even know why I'm doing this. Is this something I really want to do? And that's why the national average, and I heard this statistic many years ago, I bet it's different, but the average college student changes their major six times. And because we walk in very, very indecisive. So you don't want to be one of those people. You want to be thinking about the future, thinking about the goal, thinking about, is this something that I want to do? Is this how I want to be a productive part of society? I think you're entirely right. So everybody go become good citizens and incredibly useful. And mm -hmm. uh, let's see, we should probably issue some disclaimers. 
Uh, we are not claiming to represent any particular college uh, during this interview. Uh, we, we both went to college. We both went to Howard Payne University, and I teach private saxophone and clarinet lessons at a junior college, Cisco Junior College. But we don't represent any of these different colleges with this podcast. If you want to know about them, you really need to go visit them. Any college you want to do, go visit it and check it out from the official source. Uh, all these places we've mentioned today are great schools and have lots of things to offer. So we encourage that you check them out. Yeah, absolutely. you got to do your own research these days. And with the Internet, there's really no excuse not to. It's it's really easy to do. And even if you don't want to use the Internet, just pick up a phone and call. Um, colleges are always willing to talk to prospective students. I mean, that's that's their main money source is you. So they, they will be willing to teach uh, talk to you about everything, teach you about their programs, and um, answer any questions that you might have about it. You know, Stephen, a second ago you said something that I really liked, and I was wondering if you could say it again. Okay, what was it? It was something about me being right. I don't remember saying that. You said something along the lines of, I think you are totally right. I don't think it could be. I'm pretty sure that wasn't it. And when I go when I go back and edit this podcast, I know that won't be in here. <laughs> You're going to edit yourself and it says, I think you are completely and totally wrong. Right? I'll insert it. You won't be able to tell a difference. <laughs> yeah. Maybe somebody else's voice totally. Well, this is good. This is good. We're going to have to figure out what to do next. I've got some amazing interviews lined up. And again, I, I can't really disclose them until after we interview the people because as soon as I say it on a podcast, they'll decide that they don't want to talk to us after all. But there's some really big companies in the music education world that have agreed to do a podcast with us. We're excited about that. We have a couple of important performers that uh, we've been in talks for, so we should have some really good guests. You won't just happen to listen. Won't just happen. Won't just have to listen to Gannon and I ramble for twenty minutes. We'll have somebody hmm. else to ramble with us. Yeah, we can let somebody else ramble every once in a while, at least. Yeah, when we let them talk. Uh, we had a short break. Some of you may or may not have noticed that there was two weeks between this episode and the last one. My apologies. Uh, we both got really busy, and it was kind of sudden. Uh, you you're, you moved. Yeah, I moved and have had a lot of other things going on, and you've been doing just everything under the sun, it's, in, it's... including learning to drive a bus, which oh. I do not envy you with that. Oh, good Lord, yes. I've been doing bus driver training. Uh, my my school wants me to be able to drive a school bus, and I got away my first two years teaching without having to know. And uh, this school wants me able to do it, and it's good. You know, I I need to be able to drive a bus. It'll come in handy, probably a lot forever. But uh, the training has not been fun. How many people have ever recorded the sentence, "I need to be able to drive a bus"? That that just doesn't seem like it's a very common thing to me. Maybe I'm the first, and you're the second. You might be the very first, and I I might be the very second. We need to call up uh, Guinness Book of World Records, kind of see if that one's been done. I'll check on I think it has to be a different type of record. Like, I'd have to say it the most number of times, or say it the oh. slowest. You see what I mean? Like, you just can't be the first. You gotta... So it has to be, like, on vinyl. 
Right. You have to say it and shoot milk out of your eye at the same time. <laughs> or something. Just start start practicing. Yeah, I I will. Uh, that being said, uh, while I'm practicing shooting milk out of my eye, you guys should all keep practicing as well. And, you know, until next week, keep practicing, guys. Yep, keep practicing. Thank you.